listeners, I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You? For people like me who love books and the stories behind the books, this show gives me the chance to ask authors about what they write and why they write. Plus, I like to throw in a few odd questions just to get to know each author a little bit better as a person. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today, I welcome Terry Risby, whose essays and feature stories have appeared in USA Today, the Christian Science Monitor, The Guardian, and several other outlets. This month marked the release of Terry's debut book, One Heart with Courage, an assembly of stories and reflections from decades ago through today. One reviewer had this to say about One Heart with Courage. Terry Risby's essays are the exact balm and spirit lift we need in these trying times. Her essays are full of truth, joy, and inspiration, a SWAT team of love, and a reminder that both our struggles and our connections matter. Terry, welcome to the podcast. I'm looking forward to talking with you about your brand new collection and also about your role as the director of the amazing Irma Bombach Writers Conference. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Terry, the essays in this collection, they really do feel like a balm in a weary world. I found myself rereading them because they just uplifted me. And so I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about what this book means to you and why you felt now was the time to create this collection. You know, it's very meaningful to me. I mean, it's kind of a compilation of my life's work, so to speak. And it's interesting, I've looked back at my essays over the years, spanning really 40 years, and I realized I have a very distinct voice and tone and style to the pieces that I write. And I am a hopeful person, an optimistic person, and I tend to look at life in the sense of small moments and what small moments mean to people. So those are the kinds of essays that you'll find throughout the book. But I wrote it because, you know, like most writers, I had this idea on the back burner. One day I'm going to write a book. <laughs> and, you know, since I direct the Irma Bombach Writers Workshop, we always leave there inspired. Every writer in that room leaves inspired, and then your life gets in the way. And that was the same for me. But during COVID, I think we all kind of stepped back and sort of reassessed what's important to us. And I just thought, if not now, when am I going to do this? And that inspired me to just reach out to other people. And um, so I reached out to a friend from journalism school. I said, would you edit this for me? And she said, yeah, I'd love to do that. I reached out to the magazine editor at the University of Dayton. I said, you know my writing, who would you recommend for illustrations? And she recommended someone. And then when I uh, talked to David Brawler about the possibility of self-publishing the book and told him that I was going to give any proceeds back to the writer's workshop, he said, you know, I'd love to get back too. And why don't I help you do this? And so, you know, when you ask for help, I think the universe responds. And that's what happened in kind of an amazing way. And in the short span of a few months, we had a book together. I want to talk a little bit more about your title essay, One Heart with Courage. Can you describe what that essay is about and why you chose it as the title for the whole book? This was a actually a, a letter that I wrote to my son, Ali, after his freshman year at the University of Dayton, he decided he couldn't do like a typical study abroad program where you go to Europe. He said, I'm going to go to Africa. And then he connected with some people at the University of Dayton. And before I knew it, he was <laughs> bound for Zambia for the summer. And so I wrote him a letter before he left about 
having a heart with courage and how he did not pick the easy route, you know, in terms of the kind of service that he wanted to do for humanity. And so I wrote him, I wrote him this note and the one heart with courage actually comes about from something that Martin Sheen said when he received an honorary degree from the University of Dayton a number of years ago. And it resonated with me. He said, one heart with courage is a majority. And that's so true. I mean, there's so many people afraid to stand up for themselves. And here, what he was doing was going against the popular grain and standing up for what he believed in and what he felt was important in his life. It kind of tells you that what you dream matters in life. And one heart with courage comes straight from that idea. You know, the essay that we were just talking about, one heart with courage, it's similar to several of the pieces in the collection because it reflects a leap of faith. In that particular essay, it's more about your son's leap of faith to go from small town Ohio to Africa. But so many of the pieces in there also have other forms of leaps of faith. And I wondered if you could share a time in your life when you yourself took a real leap of faith and how it served or changed your life. Well, I mean, you'll see it throughout a number of the pieces in the book, but my marriage, you know, spans two cultures and two religions, and we're living in a divided world right now. And so in 1982, and I had no idea what Pakistan was like, I met my husband in London, he was an accounting student, I had an internship with McGraw-Hill World News as a business writer, we got to know each other, and decided to get married without really knowing the consequences of this leap of faith, because it really was, I mean, I wasn't going to change my religion for him, and you know, he's Muslim, and he had no intention of changing his religion for me, but we decided this was something that we could work through. Although his family, when I got to Pakistan, and sometimes it's best not to have too much of an idea what's going to happen before it happens. <laughs> so, you know, when I got there, I didn't realize fully how revolutionary this was for him at that time mm. to choose to marry an American, to choose to marry someone outside the faith, to choose to leave the family home. It took a lot of courage on his part, and he did all of that. And when I met his family, I think that they realize that, you know, he wasn't going to change his mind, obviously, but they really wanted to keep a connection. And we managed to do that over the years. And I think it's really helped us as a family, particularly once we had the kids, we would go back every other summer. They got to know their cousins so well, and we saw kind of our shared humanity. What was it like when you first met his parents? Um, you know, his dad could speak a little bit of English. His mom couldn't speak any English. And so we had a really difficult time communicating. But then once, you know, we had the kids, there's like a universal language of motherhood. And so even though I only knew a few words of Urdu, she knew a few words of English, we managed to communicate around this common love for these boys. And they could not do anything wrong in her <laughs> eyes at all. And they're not angels by any stretch of the imagination. But that was the bond. That was how we communicated through these children that we shared. That's a universal bond. Well, I noticed in your collection, there's a organizing principle. You have certain thematic sections and they include courage and friendship, or as you just mentioned, motherhood. You also have a section on a writer's journey and a section on faith. You even have a section on sports, which you describe as the great metaphor. Great metaphor. Yes. You know, what was the organizing principle, though, or the process when you went to put this collection together? Well, when I looked at my writings over the years, they just seemed to naturally shake out by theme. 
you know, I, I view friendship as one of the greatest joys of life. And I've often written about the beauty of the human connection. And then, of course, then there's the whole section on Pakistan and people not understanding what that world is like. And then to be able to share what a loving family looks like in another culture. And then motherhood, because that's, I think, one of the greatest joys and responsibilities of life. And then I found that there's often no one more quotable than your own children. Terry, I would love for you to share now a passage from one of the pieces in the book, just a paragraph or two that has particular meaning for you for whatever reason. Yeah, I'll just I'll um, read the end of an essay called The Art of Letting Go. Mm. And it was the last essay that I wrote for the book. And just to give a little sense of what it's about, my friend Holly from high school, who was in my wedding, we reconnected during the pandemic. She lives out in Reno. And she was dying, and she did end up dying. So this is the the end of that essay. Shortly after midnight on Independence Day, Holly found freedom from a body battered by cancer and a host of insurmountable health challenges. As fireworks lit up the Lake Michigan sky near our summer home, my husband Zafar unfolded a sky lantern. I swear I bought only brightly colored ones, so how did a white memorial lantern end up on the top of the stack? It was inscribed with the words, May this light rise to the heavens to shine with you throughout eternity. Astonished, we stared at the lantern in reverent silence as our neighbor Kate picked up a pen and scrawled Holly's name on it. As Safar lit the mini hot air balloon and gently guided upward over the tranquil waves, Ollie said softly, that's a God moment. When I texted a photo to my friend Anna, she replied, it gave me chills of recognition of so many things we rarely get to glimpse. It's beyond poignant and honestly kind of magical. Standing on the sand, I watched the floating lantern become a tiny, then indistinguishable dot in the inky sky. I knew its light couldn't last forever, just like the sweetness of summer's blackberries or the fleeting love call of cicadas. Yet in my sadness, I gratefully embraced this moment as one of life's unexpected gifts, a reminder of the soaring power of love. Oh my gosh, Terry, that brought tears to my eyes. But I can see why one reviewer said that your writing, your essays do provide a balm and a spirit lift when we need them in trying times, and particularly when we have to let go of someone. That was just so beautiful. How would you describe your voice, your writing voice? Um, you know, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's hopeful. I think it's optimistic. I think there's a sense of faithfulness. And yet it's also firmly grounded in authenticity. It's It's right. not romanticizing life and how it can be so difficult at times. And yet there really is this strong component of optimism and hope. And I thought that was really a rich characteristic of the collection. I'm curious, what is it about the essay form that appeals to you? You can finish it quickly. <laughs> I think that, you know, it's, it's sometimes you're, you're thinking about writing a book, it's overwhelming. But an essay form is manageable in terms of both reading it and writing it. So you can kind of start and end in the same day and feel like you've got a finished piece or close to finished piece. So I think that that's what appeals to me the most. And if you're successful in it, it could hit people in a positive way very quickly. Terry, I want to switch gears now from your own writing and focus on another one of your notable accomplishments, which is the Irma Bombeck Writers Workshop, which takes place at the University of Dayton in Ohio, where you have your day job. 
This three-day event has been called Humor Writing's Hottest Ticket, and I can personally attest, having served on the faculty of the workshop and attended it several times, it is truly, truly a special event. Can you share why you started that workshop back in 2000? Yeah, we actually started it as a one-time event. (laughs) I never thought that more than 20 years later, we'd still be doing this and how it's grown in popularity. But back in 2000, or maybe it was in 1999, um, Irma Bombeck's husband, Bill, was going to donate her papers to the University of Dayton. They both are graduates of the University of Dayton. And so I headed up the public relations office at that time, and I had a public relations committee of alumni. And so I asked them, what do you think we should do in terms of trying to get some national visibility around the donation of Irma's papers to her alma mater? Then we decided to pull together this writer's workshop around the donation of the papers. And it was mostly local, although Bill Bombeck had brought in some of his famous friends like Art Buckwald and Bill Keane, the family circus cartoonist, and Liz Carpenter, who stumped for the RA with Irma. And we just laughed for three days. And it was just so much fun. And I looked around at the people in my office and and someone said, hey, we ought to do it again. I said, not right now. I said, let's do one more. Let's do it in two years. I mean, this is a workshop that sells out within hours. Why do you think it's so popular, given that there's a lot of choices out there for writing workshops? I think ours is a little bit different. We've had the involvement of the Bombeck family since day one, and they're just the most unpretentious people in the world. And the fact that You know, we focus on humor and human interest writing because Irma did both, but there aren't that many workshops, I don't think, on, or any workshops, perhaps, on humor writing. So I think it fills a niche in the marketplace. Plus, we don't take ourselves seriously. It's not elitist. It's a very supportive writing community. And I think that supportiveness, the fact that you're going to come and feel welcomed, no matter where you are in your writing journey, has really helped us market it. You can feel that in the atmosphere in the conference. You know, at one point, Irma's column, of course, appeared in something like 900 newspapers, and she wrote 12 books, and she was a regular in Good Morning America. So many of us know her through her writing, but you got to know her and her family, not just through her work, but on a more personal level. So I wonder, do you have a particular memory or story about Irma or her family that sits close to your heart Yeah, I mean, I was very young into my career at the University of Dayton, and Irma was on our board of trustees. And I was in charge of doing this video project. We were launching a fundraising campaign. And so we were including these testimonials from famous alumni in the piece. And so she sat down in a chair and in one take did this beautiful, you can write story. And, you know, we just sat there, we were just astonished at First of all, her warmth, her genuine approach to it, and how she found the encouragement, which every writer needs, from an English professor who told her for the first time, you can write. And it was magical. And it sustained her, as she said, for her entire career. I just remember that early time when I first met her and how she told that story just so beautifully and with humor, because this English professor was a Marianist brother. And she said, well, I'm not going to believe him. And then she said something like, well, he'd have to be down on his knees repenting for the rest of his life if he tells me a falsehood. So she could trust that when he said she could write, she knew that he couldn't lie. Well, and I think that's the feeling that 
the workshop gives all its attendees is that sense that, yes, we can do this. We can write. Sometimes that's all it takes is somebody who really believes in you. That's a lovely story. You know, Irma's columns were on so many people's refrigerators, and she's renowned for these quotable lines in her work. Do you have a favorite line or two among her many quotable columns that just went up on your fridge or that stands out to you? Um, what is it? Guilt, the gift that keeps on giving. I think that's a good one. <laughs> I also like what she said about the Titanic, about the women who waved off the dessert cart on the Titanic. Um, that was pretty amusing. She had so many wonderful phrases, wonderful ways of saying things. It just kind of captured the typical American family and the foibles of American family life. And I think that's why her columns ended up on the refrigerator door. You earlier had shared a piece you yourself wrote about letting go. And even in difficult times, Irma was able to find the humanity or the humor Mm -hmm. in situations like that. And one line I was thinking of was that she said what her epitaph would be or on her gravestone was, I told you I was sick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What do you think Irma would say if she was in attendance at the conference? Oh, I think she would think this was a lot of fuss made about her, you know, because she was truly an unpretentious person. But we are carrying forth her legacy to a new generation. People may not have even heard of her. So I think that we're carrying that banner forward. And she may not appreciate that, but I know her family would certainly appreciate it. And I think she would appreciate the supportive sense because she found that support at the University of Dayton. And then to realize that all these writers are gathering there to find the same kind of encouragement and support for their work. You know, in one of your essays, you express this thought, humor saves us. And I wondered, given the trying times that we live in, can you elaborate on what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I think we look back over the last 18 months and before that, kind of this uprising of uh, hate in our country, for lack of a better word. You have all this negative stuff going on, and how do you rise above it? And that's why I think humor does save us. And when we turn the workshop from an in-person event to a virtual gathering the last time, I realized last October how much people really wanted to gather together, even if it was virtually. And it was like a big therapy session in some regards. I think for many people, humor did save them. You know, it was a way for us to gather, even though it was not in person, but for like-minded people to gather and to laugh. Well, I so concur with that. Humor does save us. Irma once said it herself, right? When humor goes, there goes civilization. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think makes a good humor essay? I think it's got to be the element of surprise. And I think that that's what Irma did so well, is that you're reading along, all of a sudden there's a surprise twist that just makes you laugh out loud. And I think it's a real skill to do that. I think it's hard to write humor. I really admire people who can do it. I think a lot of times people misunderstand humor might come from tricks or techniques, but it really, I think, comes from being authentic and real and observational. And that is the stuff of funniness, even in difficult times. Terry, I have one last question for you, which is if you were to write a six word memoir, what would it be? Um, I think it reflects my book. It's all about the little moments. Absolutely. The everyday moments. The everyday moments. Yes. It's interesting though, because you have to really attend to those. You have to be present. 
You have to be present and you have to realize that there's some sort of sacredness to even the ordinary moments in life. Well, Terry, I want to thank you for this time. And before I let you go, I want to remind listeners that you and your publisher, Browler Books, are donating the proceeds from One Heart with Courage to the Irma Bombeck Writers Workshop Endowment Fund. So I want to thank you for that act of generosity as well. And I look forward to seeing you at the workshop this spring. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you too, Jen. I'll be there. Listeners, if you would like to learn more about Terry Risby's wonderful collection of essays, please visit her publisher's website, BrowlerBooks.com. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, JoniBCole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, and don't be afraid to ask the odd questions.